Boy, those words are just like very bright to me right now. I sing out and remind my soul that I am yours. Our souls are in need of reminding, aren't they? There's not anything more important we can reflect on of that which is already true, but that our souls don't believe that we are gods, that we belong to God, that that is most who we are. Amen, amen. I'm thankful to Aaron and to our team. What a full service we've already had. <sighs> Actually, before I jump in, I, I do, I guess, a quick prayer request um, and just update both personally and one, one for our community. Um, I just, I'm aware that I always represent you, and it's because of the work we're doing here, wrestling with these. So this Thursday morning coming up, I think I mentioned it one other time, but this Thursday morning coming up, um, I'm speaking at the Chicago Federal Reserve um, with the with the VPs and upper management folks of 24 different banks. And they've explicitly asked me to talk about the nature of white supremacy. How about that for an inspirational um, conversation, huh? So... Uh, you know, in the business world, you get a lot of conversation around diversity and inclusion. It's kind of like the buzzword these days, and I think those are both very important words. We want to be diverse, we want to be inclusive, but that's very different than recognizing the historic presence of white supremacy. And so we talk about that stuff a lot here. Usually banks don't talk about that stuff a lot, so um, uh, that will be interesting. And, um, you know, again, it just comes out of the wrestling that we're doing here. And um, I met with the VP of the Federal Reserve uh, this week, and in the conversations I said, you know, I appreciate that you're inviting a pastor in. I realize that must be a little bit of a stretch for you guys. I'll be careful not to overtly proselytize or anything. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to be friendly about it. And he goes, well, our whole thing around diversity and inclusion is that you're supposed to come as you are. So I, I, I'm not asking you to withhold anything when you're here. I mean, please be thoughtful about it. Don't bang people over the head. But you're a pastor. Own that when you come in. I'm like, all right, well, what I meant to say is there's going to be an evangelistic presentation at the end. <laughs> We're going to talk about the sin of white supremacy, the salvation found in Jesus Christ and his kingdom, and we'll see where that goes. So, um, yeah, so I'm hopeful and prayerful for that. I realize I represent you all when I do stuff like that so I could use your prayers. And um, that's not even the scariest thing I'm doing this week. The scariest thing I'm doing this week is speaking at the graduation ceremony for Cameron Elementary across the street on Friday. That's the scary one. <laughs> I am way more terrified of that than the white bankers who will be there um, on Thursday morning. So, um, so those are some of the things uh, on my front. And then two weeks from today... Um, is when we're doing the annual gala for our city. And so do we have the slide for that, Jess? Thank you. Um, so that's two weeks from today. Um, why is my name on the, the boathouse thing? That's just kind of funny. I'm sorry, just noticing that. So I'm not doing anything, but I will be there. Um, so we do this every summer. Such a fun time. The, the Humble Park Boathouse is just like the perfect place to have a gala. It's just outside, on the water. It's just lots of fun. So it, it would be just be great for people to come. If you really, really want to help, you know, I'm so thankful. You all are so generous to support the efforts we're doing through the church and so much of the community development stuff. You know, we're beyond the scope on the nonprofit where the church can support that. So it just requires outside investment. And so we need to kind of get as many folks as possible part of the community development stuff that we're doing. Today, Beth and Brandon are actually up at Park Community Church and Park is supporting our efforts, which I'm very thankful for. And um, the, the gala is a real opportunity for us to um, um, invite kind of folks who, you know, would be interested in the work of our city, the work we're doing on the community development side of things. And then it's just a great opportunity for us to be there as well. So if you would not only sign up yourself, but consider taking a little bit of a relational risk and seeing if anybody would want to come with, that would be re that's, that's probably at the top of the list of things that are most helpful for right now in the stage that we're in. So that's two weeks from today. Five o'clock, or yeah, um, yeah, so kind of like happy hours, kind of like four to five, and then um, at five, kind of things get kicking. So that's two weeks from today. Sound good? All right. 
to the Bible we go. We are going to do Psalms all summer long. So today we started off last week with Psalm 1, the beautiful and famous psalm about the importance of meditation. Blessed is the one who meditates in the law day and night. They will be like streams planted by trees, planted by streams of water. Today we're going to do one that really I think follows suit in the spirit of meditation. Uh, we're going to do Psalm 46. So if you've got your Bibles and whatever form you have them, if you want to open up to Psalm 46, let's stand together as we read this wonderful Psalm, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams may clad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Such a beautiful psalm, isn't it? Ends with that really famous imagery in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Um, We're going to study the psalm a little bit, but this is going to be one of those weeks where I'm hoping to kind of turn the corner and um, try to think through some very concrete applications of this together. In fact, um, if I was going to give this one a title, since it's kind of beginning of summer here, I think I would call this one Summer Strategies. Because I'm actually choosing to do this one here at the beginning because um, I realize summer can still be a crazy time. But if there's any season of the year where there tends to be a little more space, a little more opportunity to do things, it can be summer. And I want you, by the end of this, I'm hoping that you'll kind of be thoughtful about um, your rhythms this upcoming summer and where that kind of where the psalm finishes will be something that you really commit to creating space for in your own life. So let's go through the psalm first, then we'll think maybe of ways to implement this. This psalm, one of the things that makes this psalm so powerful and such a favorite for so many is it's a really interesting blend of it's very realistic and it's very hopeful all at the same time. Right? So it's, it's very realistic at first, but just how hard life is. Let, let, let's look through some of these verses where you know, he's just very straightforward. Verse 2, um, he says, We'll not fear even though... The earth will give way. That's encouraging. The mountains will fall into the heart of the sea. That's encouraging. The waters will roar and foam. The mountains will quake with their surging. Verse 6, he says, Nations will be in uproar. Kingdoms will fall. It's just um, very realistic about the fact. And I think this is just just something we have to constantly come back to. We talk about this a lot, but I think it's an important piece for our own spiritual formation. Um, it It is so tempting to view painful and difficult circumstances through the lens of who God is. It is always tempting to do that. If you fall into this kind of trap that being blessed by God means you never suffer, 
Being blessed by God means you never struggle. Being blessed by God means that there's no pain. Being blessed by God means you won't lose loved ones. If you, if you fall into a trap of thinking, which is not in the Bible at all, but it's a very common trap of falling into thinking, when you fall into that, you'll be tempted to always thank God and praise God when things are going good. But then as soon as life starts happening, right, and you cannot escape this, life will be hard because this is a sinful world, it's a broken world, it's an imperfect world. God says things will not be made all the way right until God comes back. When God restores this world, there will be no more tears. But until then, there will always be tears. That's just part of life, right? And so um, I, I like, uh, you know, one of the ways Jesus talked about this in, in um, John chapter 14, when he's preparing to go to the cross, and the disciples are really struggling with the impending doom that's coming. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, which is an interesting kind of distinction. It's, it's, it's not that life won't be troubled. It will be troubled. But there is a way for life to be troubled and for your hearts to not be troubled. Jesus says, I'm, as long as you're connected to me, as long as you're connected to my presence, when life is troubled, your hearts do not need to be troubled. And that's what makes Psalm 46 so beautiful. When it, when it comes at these different passes on the nature of God and the hope that we have in God, it's not connecting that to a lack of trouble. It's not connecting that to a lack of suffering or a lack of difficulty. It's saying, look, I mean, this world is falling apart and it will continue to fall apart. There will be nations in uproar, right? There will be kingdoms that are falling. There will be pain. There will be suffering. And still, you can have hope in the character and nature of God. And still, you can have access to the presence of God. And still, you can be filled with a peace that passes human understanding, even when the world around you feels like it's shaking. So he, he uh, uh, three different ways it really highlights the character of God, and each one kind of draws a little bit of a different picture. I think each one is uniquely uh, moving in its own way. Verse 1, he starts off, he says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And I like in particular that word refuge. That word refuge um, gets to... Um, uh, it was used most often, it was uh, a, high, a refuge was an actual tor- formal term. It was a high tower that you could get away from kind of a war or a struggle. And it was protected because of its height, but it was also um, protective in its own way in that because of the height, you could see kind of what was happening around you. And it's, it's interesting that the psalmist uses that, that God is like this refuge. God is like this high tower where it's not only a protected place, but... It creates perspective. It creates a vantage point in which you can kind of, again, doesn't mean the trouble's not there, but where you can have a bigger view of what's happening around you. And so he starts out with there in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's just encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, not, not that we won't have trouble. He's <laughs> just assuming there will be trouble, right? But in the midst of present, in the midst of trouble, God is our refuge and our strength. Then in verse 4, um, and this is, this, I want to do this one after Psalm 1 because the images are very similar. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. So this, this image of river um, is constant throughout the Bible, right? There's the rivers of life that are in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Um, there's Ezekiel's image of the rivers that are filled with life that you step into ankle deep and then knee deep and then waist deep and then until it's so big. Um, Revelation ends with this idea of the river of life that flown, flows from the throne room of God into the city. And of course, in Psalm 1, this is picking up in the same imagery, um, it talks about, blessed is the one who meditates on the law 
he or she is like a tree planted by rivers of water, right? By streams or rivers of living water. And so the river always represents the presence of God. The river, the river represents the presence of God. And I think the image is so powerful because when it talks about river and then streams that are coming from there, which is interesting that it delineates those, it's just getting to this idea that the presence of God is always thick. It's always near. It's always available in abundance. And of course, I realize the human experience is such. That doesn't mean that we're always able to access it as fully as we want. But this is... This is constant reminders, consistent reminders of who God is and what God's presence is like, that it's like a river that's always flowing and that there's these streams. There's the big river, there's these streams, there's just different ways for us to access it. So, so this is what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist in the midst of trouble is just remembering who God is, what God is like. And then finally, of course, the very famous verse in verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And so God is saying through the psalmist here that even in times of trouble, it is not only possible, but what God hopes for is that we are aware of God's presence, that we are reflecting on the nature of God's character, that even we're worshiping even in the midst, even in the midst of difficult times. But of course, getting to the idea, and this is there's so much in verse 10. I actually think there's so much about the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 10. Right, right. We're not the ones who calm ourselves down. We're not the ones who bring ourselves peace. We're not the ones who get rid of the anxiety. That's God who does that. And yet, we're not meant to be passive either, right? Um, this is really the part that human beings can do most. This is the part that's most within our control. We can be still. And we can reflect. And we can do what the psalmist is doing, where we look at who God is, even in the midst of the difficulty of life's circumstances. We, that's the part we can do. We can be still. We can position ourselves. We can posture ourselves. We can, we can do the best we can to drink from these rivers, right? To be connected to the presence of God, to reflect on the character and the nature of who God is, even in the times of difficulty. Track with me on that? And so what I actually would like to do is just think through together, like, how does one do that, right? Let's just hopefully assume that's what we want, right? That we are able to be still, that we're able to reflect on the character of God, that we're able to draw nourishment from the rivers of living water, that we're able to be connected and even immersed into God's presence. How do we be still? How do we be still and know that God is God? Um, I just want to, like, I want to like walk through some of, if you grew up in church, these will sound like familiar things. My intention here is not to be innovative. It's actually the opposite. It's to remind us that there are kind of certain core practices that we can and I would say should be doing. And so this is always the balancing act in these things. When I say these things, I'm not trying to be legalistic through a checklist, right? So I'm not saying if you're not doing this, 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 you're a bad Christian. That's not at all what I'm trying to do. On the other hand, there's a danger on the other side of like not taking advantage of the discipline we can take advantage of, you know, and so um, I think on all these things, there's a invitation for it to become more than a discipline. There's an invitation for it to be an ongoing experience. You know, certainly we could be still and know that God is God in any moment of the day, right? You can pause on a beautiful day and look at the birds flying and have a powerful moment with God in that, right? Uh, we're certainly capable and invited to be still and to know that God is God at any moment of the day. What I'm really talking through is more the the thought-through kind of approaches that we can be taking. So I'm going I'm to walk through four of them, 
Um, if you're nailing all four of these, then great. You can just say, wow, I love that sermon. It just affirmed how good I'm already doing on this, all right? Um, and then on some of them, it just may just kind of remind you, like, yeah, you know, I used to do that, or I want to do that, or I haven't been doing that. So again, I, I'm, I'm explicitly thinking about this as a summer kind of a thing. Like, let's maybe think of summer as a way to keep deepening in some of these. Sound good? So again, not going to be unfamiliar ones, but four, four diff- the four historic ways, almost, I think you could say, are starting points for making sure we're being still. First one we did last week, so it's just a reminder. First First one, it's where the Psalms start, and that's meditation. Meditation. If you weren't here last week, and even if you were, just in terms of review, um, Psalm 1 opens with saying, Blessed is the person who meditates on God's law day and night and who takes delight in it. That's the goal in meditation, is to delight in what the Bible says is true about us. When we're engaging in meditation, this is less about trying to get lots of information in and trying to memorize lots of things, though that has value too. Meditation is really trying to grab onto one biblical idea and letting it marinate inside of you. Meditation is taking one idea and rotating it around and looking at it from as many different ways as you can, hoping to understand it deeper and deeper. Meditation, this is often where where I think it happens. Meditation is when you, you know something is true in your mind, but it hasn't it hasn't worked its way all the way into your heart yet. Right? So it's not that it's an unfamiliar idea as much as it's one that's not fully actualized for you yet. Right? I was going back to, you all know if you come here, you know how much, I, like my starting point always is the baptism of Jesus Christ. I think that that's, that's, I meditate on that more often than I do anything else. This idea of God speaking over us, the blessing that says, you're my son, you're my daughter. Right? How important is remember we're children of God, what, we just, what Aaron was saying before we came up. How often is, how important is remember that God says, in you I take delight. I take pleasure in you. I am pleased before you've done anything right or wrong. I'm pleased with who you are. I was looking through. That's in all four gospel accounts. You know in the Luke account in Luke chapter 3? Um, Luke's the only one who says this, but in the Luke account of the baptism of Jesus Christ, it says that Jesus heard the words from the Father in the context of prayer and meditation. Isn't that interesting? It was, it was in the context of prayer that Jesus really heard those words according to Luke's account, which to me is like a very vivid illustration of like what meditation does, where you're sitting in something, and inviting the Holy Spirit to help deepen it into your soul and your heart and your mind in deep, deep ways. And so meditation, I just think that's one of those, there can be, there can be flexibility in how we live it out, but I think every one of us should be saying, what is, I just don't think it's optional. I think if we want to be still and know that God is God, we've got to be engaging with meditation. So I think it's something we can keep experimenting with and checking ourselves on and you know, trying to make progress in. So that's the first one, meditation. You with me? Uh, second one, and not an unfamiliar one if you grew up in church, but an important one nonetheless. Second one, creating consistent and structured times to be alone with God. I just don't know how we get around this one if we want to be Psalm 46 kind of people where we create consistent and structured times to be with God. And I'm saying this as somebody who's very unstructured and very inconsistent in a lot of things, and yet I completely understand the need to have dedicated times um, there's a lot of different verses we could point to on this. I, I think Jesus' language when he's teaching the Lord's Prayer is a helpful one. In Matthew chapter 6, when he's teaching the Lord's Prayer, he actually starts by saying, go into your prayer closet. Go into your prayer closet, into this inner space where you can be with God and then reflect on these words from God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So, um, but this idea of having a space I think is so significant. And this is one of the things, when we're looking to become Psalm 46 kind of people and deepen our ability to be still and to reflect on the nature of God, I think having some kind of a structured set space can be a really helpful way to build into our rhythm time and space to be with God. 
Right, one of my favorite things from you all is when you share with me some of the ways that you do that. Um, remember Rob Walters taking me to the Panera he goes to every single morning before work in the same chair next to the same fireplace that he goes to every single morning where he reads or listens to a podcast or journals. And I thought, that's, that's fantastic. That's what a prayer closet is supposed to look like. I mean, it doesn't have to be Panera, but a prayer closet can be anywhere. Um, I remember, uh, Arlo, is it okay if I talk about your secret little uh, your secret little prayer? I remember the first time being at Arloa's place, and she's got an unfinished basement, and just this beautiful little area just surrounded by candles, like just hundreds of candles. And we always tease her that she's like having a seance or down there or something. But really, it's a prayer closet, and it's this idea, you know, a flame represents the Spirit of God. And just it was just so cool to see this kind of carved-out space in her place, in her unfinished basement, where she goes for her prayer closet. I remember sitting with. Some, I remember talking to somebody. Doesn't go here anymore. But I remember him showing me a chair in his apartment. He says, "I call that the chair." Like, wow, that's really innovative. You know, to call that the chair. He's like, no, no. I mean, I call it the chair because that's the chair where I meet with God. He said, every morning I set some time. I set my coffee down. I sometimes I read through a book. Sometimes I listen to worship music. Sometimes I journal again. But that's that's the chair. That's the chair where I sit and meet with God. And he said, and I cherish that chair. Like every time I see that chair during the day, I go, oh, don't worry, God. I'll be back there again soon. We're going to have some time together. We're going we're gonna to meet in this chair. All right, again, just get into this idea of structure, time, and place, building it into our rhythm. All right? I think it's while we can and should hope to be able to experience God in an ongoing way, to always be aware of God's presence, I think it's a tad bit naive to hope that we can do that without building structure and as well to kind of deepen and enable that into deeper ways. So... That's the second one. Still tracking? All right, third one. This is going to sound funny because you're already here, um, but I still think it's important to say. Third one is making sure you're consistently in church. All right? Again, check this one off. You're here, right? That's great. Um, But um, I I thought Shireen spoke to this so beautifully today during the time of prayer and praise, right? Like, that was very real talk, right? Like, she had to be here because it's her job, but some of you don't have to be here when you're not feeling like it. And and there is really something in that because if we're going to learn how to be still, and focus on who God is. Certainly we can and should do that alone. But there's a corporate communal element that's hard to get around in that. Right? Like sometimes the best way to be aware of God's presence is to listen to others talk about it. Or to and this can go either way. Sometimes when you're not feeling you're feeling spiritual dry and somebody else is lifting their hands of worship, sometimes it can make you feel frustrated, but it can also be the opposite too. Um, you know, the Psalms talk so often about the importance of hunger in thirst, right? As the, one of my favorite psalms, as the deer panteth for water, so my soul longeth after thee, right? We're encouraged to be in touch with our hunger and our thirst. And uh, I remember talking about this with one of my um, colleagues at Willow back in the day. This has always stuck with me. We were talking about that psalm, um, uh, as the deer panteth for streams of water, so my soul longeth after thee. And he said, you know, if you're not currently in touch with your spiritual hunger, how do you get in touch with your hunger? And we started talking about that. And he said, in some ways, I don't think it's any different than the physical world. You may not realize you're hungry, but then you watch somebody eating a delicious meal, and all of a sudden you go, man, I'm way more hungry than I realized, right? Or you see a commercial, right? And it like gets you back in touch with your hunger. I think there's something to be said about the corporate experience of spirituality. Even when you don't feel hungry or thirsty, you are. You're just not necessarily in touch with it. There's something about being in a collective space with some who are authentically hungry and thirsty that can wake up something inside of you. 
And I say it especially in summer, that if there's ever a season where it's like really easy to like get out of the rhythm of going to church at summertime, right? Because we have like 12 pretty weeks in Chicago a year, and so everybody wants to take advantage of those 12 weeks. And I get that. I'm, again, I'm not mean to be judgmental. But even if, if you have the privilege to be able to travel and you're out and about, whatever it may be, I think for as much as possible, just making that commitment that, as the writer says in Hebrews 10, I will not forsake the assembling of the saints, you know, that I'll do my best to be in spaces with other folks who are wanting to learn about and follow God. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and he said, uh, he said uh, about the Sunday before, he said, I woke up a little bit later than I meant to. I had a lot to do that day. Everything in me just didn't want to go to church. Right? And it's kind of like Shireen alluded to that same thing today. I think we all have Sundays like that. He said, but I did go, and the word that was preached that day, he's like, it's just what I needed to hear. And I just kept saying to myself all day afterwards, I'm so glad I pushed through those obstacles and got there. <laughs> and so I'm just simply saying that that is certainly, I think, a biblical idea for one of the ways that we can continue to be still and know that, we are, know that God is God is by congregating together. Amen? Amen. Last one. Um, uh, Sometimes when I'm with a good Christian person who thinks that they're hitting all the marks they should, I said, I'll say, just being tongue-in-cheek, I'll say, you know, you're a good Christian. Do you keep all Ten Commands? I'm like, oh, man, that's the easy. Like, you've got to get deep in that. Of course I keep all the Ten Commandments, right? Those are the easy ones. Don't steal, don't kill, you know, don't cover all that. I go, okay, cool. Well, tell me over the last month um, how consistently you've been with your Sabbath. And they'll pause for a moment and go, you know, that's a command. That's number four. Number four, yeah, I, I'm glad that you don't steal and you don't covet and all those things, but you keep Sabbath. I, I think we forget how serious God is about Sabbath, and that's what I want to make this fourth one when we're talking about being still and knowing that God is God. God from beginning until end, the Sabbath comes up over and over and over as something that God is deeply concerned for us to do because God knows how we are created and that if we work, 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 work without taking breaks to delight in God and to rest and to relax, it, it, it screws up our circuitry when we don't Sabbath. And so I do want to say a word. We haven't talked on Sabbath for a while, so let me say a word on it because it's not actually, um, I would love to do a hand raise, but that would just be a collective shaming exercise, and there's no sense in doing that, um, so I won't. Um, uh, so I, I see Sabbath in a certain kind of way, um, kind of like I see generosity in the Bible or tithing. All right, so let me make the connection here. So, um, so the Bible, you know, the New Testament talks about money as much as it talks about anything, right? God, Jesus was always very concerned about our relationship with money. And so the goal, the long-term goal that Jesus has for us is that we would treat all of our stuff as God's and that we would regularly and generously give it back to God's work, right? That's God's long-term goal. But because people have such a hard time doing that, it had to kind of create a a strong line to start with within the Bible. It calls a tithing, right? So it's kind of like there's this rule, there's this regulation. Give back the first 10% of what you earn to God as an act of obedience so that you will learn to treat your resources as God's and hopefully develop a spirit of generosity, right? And so it develops this rule, but the idea of the rule is not to stop there. It's to create this way of life where we're good stewards of our resources and we're generous with our resources, right? So the rule is created to actually live in an even deeper way into it, Right? That's how I have come to understand the Sabbath. I think, so there's, so let's start with the rule of Sabbath. The rule of Sabbath is that six days you should work and one day you should not. All right? That's when God talks about the Sabbath in the Old Testament, when Jesus affirms it in the New Testament. This is the idea that in the same way that God patterned creating the world for six days and then taking a day to not work, to just enjoy, to just delight, so we're to do that as well. And so let me start with the rule. That's actually not where I want to end, but let's start with the rule. Um, in some fashion or another, 
this is the idea. We, we should, whatever you do as your main source of work, as your main source of production, it's a really wonderful idea to be able to take a break from that <laughs> once a week, right? And to build that into how, how we function. And I put an asterisk next to it. There are always these kind of economic realities. I do know some single parents who just don't have that luxury to take a day off, and my heart goes out on that because I realize sometimes there's an inflexibility in being able to respond to these. But when we're able, the idea is um, because when we work, when we can't take a day off work, it tends to say something about our identity. Either we are uncomfortable if we're not doing something, or um, we don't feel like we're valuable if we're not producing, um, or we have too high a view of ourselves and think that the world will fall apart if we're not going 24-7. And it's God's way of reminding us that God is God. It's a very much a Psalm 46 kind of activity, reminding us that God is God, that we can be still in God's goodness, God's sovereignty, God's graciousness. And so that's the starting point of how we should think about Sabbath. All right, you track with me on that? Uh, now, I, 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 I'm going to jump right to what I actually think is the heart of it. There's a wonderful phrase in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through, I think it's like 12. Um, you can look at it later, but um, I love the term that the writer of Hebrews uses to kind of get to the heart of it. He says, the point of Sabbath is a Sabbath rest. It's an actual conjunction word. He calls it, there's a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and we should do everything possible to enter into that rest. Right? So this is the heart of Sabbath, is, is taking responsibility for the fact that we don't tend to just fall into delight. We don't tend to fall into worship. We don't tend to fall into recreational activities that restore ourselves. There has to be an actual intentional effort to do that. We have got to, it's, it actually requires a, a pretty significant degree of self-awareness, I think, to Sabbath well. <laughs> like anybody in Canada, I think, should, just in the same way we should tithe, even if we're not doing more, we should just start there. I think we should just take a day off, even if you don't understand any more than that. But the self-awareness piece is, um, to put it in question form, what is it that gives me deep rest? Right? That, to me, that's a huge Psalm 46 question. What is it that gives me deep rest and relaxation? Because you put 10 of us up here and that, that would know, you probably actually get 10 different variations of the answer. Right? For some people, fitness is going to be where they really feel resting. When they, um, that's, that's, how, that's how my wife lives. She's in Seattle right now running a marathon. That's like Sabbathy for her. Um, I don't want to run 26 miles to rest, but she, for her, she'll listen to like 24 podcasts and have like a very, you know, and that's good. I encourage her to do it. So, so for some people, they would give fitness as an answer, you know, for where they would find deep rest. You know, for some, it's going to be just strictly recreational kinds of things, playing a sport or going out on a boat or, you know, something like that. Yeah, you've heard me say many times, for me, a movie is very recreational and restorative. Not a movie at home. Being at home doesn't feel restorative to me, but being in that movie theater with the lights off and the sound high and hopefully not very many people in there, which is why I go during the day. Plus, I have a weird sound thing. If I hear people chewing popcorn, it ruins it for me. So that's a, just a weird little idiosyncratic thing about me, but that's actually true. There's too many people I can hear the popcorn and I can't enjoy the movie, so then it's not restful. So that's what I'm saying. You've got to be self-aware about yourself of how to get into these environments where um, you're getting into restful. And so that's very much, I link that with Psalm 46, with the Sabbath idea that it's hard to delight in God and feel delighted in if you're not actually able to slow down a little bit right? and to kind of enjoy yourself. And some of us have been taught that that's like bad or not allowed or we're not, and, and that just couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible has built it into the fabric of how we're supposed to walk with God. Right? I mean, when it reaches Ten Commandments low, you know it's important, right? And so I think that's wild that out of all these don't, 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 don'ts included within it is don't dare neglect the Sabbath. 
Don't dare neglect the Sabbath, right? Because you just you screw up your you screw up your rhythms when you don't take the Sabbath seriously. So I'm giving you the kind of like more hardline one of like try to find you know blocks within each week where you're able to like not be connected to work. But then I'm trying to also center what I think is the deeper idea in Hebrews four of this and doing everything we can to enter into the Sabbath rest where we can be still and reflect on God being God. You tracking with me? So there's four. I'm sure we could come up with more, but I think those are historic ones that are regularly recognized as important patterns, important rhythms, important structures we can put into our life um, as we work to be still and know that God is God. And so let's, let's, let's reflect on that verse one more time, and then worship team, you can come up, and we'll respond in worship. But uh, is it you still got it readily available there, Jess? Let's look at verse 10 one more time. This is what God wants for us. This is what God invites us into. Be still and know that I am God. That's how you survive trouble. That's how you get through difficult times. That's how you stay connected to the presence of God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So it's a worship call. So we respond to this in worship. And I think we should thank God that God wants this for us, right? That God wants us to build it into our rhythms, that we would be still and reflect on who God is and how God is good to us and how God delights in us as children of God. Amen?